Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you're here, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. How you doing, guys? Uh, podcast number two at Carmine Street Beers. Uh, we just did a quick podcast. Well, not quick, an hour. It's typically what we do with the guys from um, Torch and Crown. Uh, took a quick beer and burrito break, because I guess that's what you do here. It is. Now we're going to do a little bit of roundtable. First off, we have Shane from uh, Carmine Street Beers. What's going on, brother? Yay, how are you, man? Thank you for doing this. I'm pretty good. The burrito uh, the burrito, um, the burrito, break is pretty much all it, you're doing. Yeah, it's uh, very important here. Uh, we got a dos uh, tourist down the block, and it keeps our bottle shares and everything at a very good pace, I think. <laughs> And then uh, to my left, immediate left, you'll know he's been on a podcast before. We have Creepy Tom Beam. Working out of Brooklyn. Working out of Brooklyn. Happy to be back. Happy to be back. Good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, too, sir. I love to see you. Warms the cockles of your cockles heart. Cockles of my heart. Yeah. I'm just so deep and rich. And we have Zach. You're... First time I met Zach, we got to talk, and you are in the industry yourself. What do you do? Yes, uh, I'm a sales rep for uh, Remarkable Liquids. I work out in Jersey. Um, flip fantastic beer out there. Okay, you, you, you cover what, northern New Jersey? Yeah, or? five counties, uh, Bergen, Hudson, Union, Essex, and Pacific. And what is, what is like Remarkable's like, portfolio? Like, who do they carry noteworthy? Probably the biggest name, McKellar San Diego, um, at okay. least for me. Um, they also have McKellar in New York. In New York, I've got Common Roots, Dunhill, Zero Gravity, St. Bernardus, so a bunch of, bunch of nice things that kind of... A little bit of everything for everybody. I love the I love the toss of the Saint Bernardus out there. Hey man, don't people, all the don't all those hazy names out and dropping that Saint hey, Bernardus. People, on people want it. By the way, I sell Saint Bernardus, so yeah, holla at me. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I, I figured we'd do a quick podcast after we talk to the guys from Torture Crown and Town. I figured we would touch about talk about New York and New York adjacent beer markets. It's North New Jersey essentially. You know what I mean? Uh, New York light to a sure. sense when it comes to beer. Um, and we have basically a bottle shop owner, a beer distributor rep, and a beer drinker. First things first, I guess to start on my left and work around. Tom, how'd you get into beer, brother? Um, oddly enough, got into beer through Rogue. Um, had a, lot, a lot of people did. A lot of people did, yeah. Uh, had a, a neighbor of mine come over um, for a little dinner action. He brought a Rogue hazelnut brown and um, I gave it a try and was like, oh, I didn't know beer could taste like this. I assumed it all tastes like skunky Heineken. Um, and then from there, I just sort of like started drinking everything I could get my hands on. And, uh, and yeah, and, that's, and then a beer belly was born. Exactly. Well, yeah. he's quite the sexy man, so don't let him <laughs> beer belly claims fool you. Zach, like... Before you even got into the distributor point of thing, like what what turned you on to beer? How'd you get into it, or did you just get into it as a job? I don't know. Um, no, it was kind of the same right at the time where I uh, picked up, I actually picked up a six pack of uh, Sweet Baby Jesus. Oh yeah, Duke um, Meanwhile, I was just killing thirties of Bud Light every day. You know, do own, but I was killing thirties of Bud Light every weekend with, with, with the guys, and then try to do like a holy shit beer can taste like this, um, and that kind of opened the floodgates and started talking to other people. And Are you from Jersey? Yes. Okay. 
Uh, um, so that was kind of like the impetus, and then started investigating, doing the legwork, and then the man to my left uh, got me into the industry, and now I am where I am today. What about you? How did you get into it? Um, I kind of just fell into it, really, more than anything. Um, so in the West Village, when we opened in 2013, there was really nowhere to buy beer at all. I mean, I'm not even talking about craft beer. I'm talking about, like, regular Bud Miller, Heineken, that kind of stuff. Like, the bodegas around here carry it. The grocery stores do, but they'll charge you an arm and a leg just because they can. Um, and, you know, this area, uh, our store was a copy center. And, you know, with those large machines, things get hot in the summer. And my dad was always one of those people who would crave a beer in the summer. And this, what he had to do to get a decent beer at a reasonable price was to jump on the F train, take two stops, and go to the Whole Foods on Bowery before you get anything. So, I mean, with the copy business and kind of decline, he was kind of like, fuck it, let's do craft beer. And um, that's kind of where we landed. Um, he opened the spot. He gave me the tools I needed. And, uh, I mean, I was 20 at the time, but we made the craft beer thing really work in that time frame. And what, when did you guys open originally here at uh, Carmine? Yeah, uh, we opened in 2013, but uh, about two years ago we converted it into like also a sit-down bar thing where you could drink some of the beers we have on draft and stuff like that. But we still maintain the to-go thing because it was such a large part of why we opened in the first place. And like, what, was there anything in particular like hurdle-wise you had to cover in order to kind of serve like? drinks itself is that yeah. like a totally separate thing <laughs> yeah it totally was um, I mean a lot of people don't know but there's no like strict New York City beer license for anything you have to if you want to sell beer only to go you have to open as a grocery store which is kind of a weird thing given how many different craft options exist um, but so anyway that's what we did we opened with a grocery store license and converting it over to a bar required us to remodel the entire place to bring it up to you know like it's a whole different avenue when you're selling beer to go when you're serving it because then you have the health department involved and you need seats you need bathrooms you need a whole bunch of like different things in addition to all the bureaucratic like licensings and things like that to go on so it i think it took us about a good year year and a half working on it to really like make it work even before we started building anything out now like as far as I'm concerned, and, and, and it's going to be really interesting for me to kind of talk to you guys about how beer is done in New York City, because I view it from my perspective, and not living here, and just to kind of kick off the whole podcast, my view of New York as a beer place is weird in that I don't think New York is a beer place, I shouldn't say is, was a beer place up until a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, you had places like Blind Tiger that was around since the 90s, and then a couple of places that kind of popped off maybe in the early early like um what is that um there's a couple of bottle shops what's one of them one early like good good beer and Man top or something like all that. those were kind of open before we were there was yeah. also uh new beer distributors which has yeah. since closed but they've been open for a long time too. shed a tear but yeah. when yeah but when i when i first got into beer like in the late 90s and then when i thought about beer kind of like if i wanted to go to a city that had good beer uh, as opposed to going to a brewery because back then there was just there wasn't a ton of options uh, it was go to Philly, maybe even go into certain parts of New Jersey, or, or travel kind of south. I never, ever found good beer. I mean, you'd find Chimay and all the old school kind of like Belgian stuff, but you never found good stuff. But it seemed like right around 2010, things started to shift. 
uh, beer started to get a little bit more popular, and then once you had a couple breweries kind of open in Brooklyn, things kind of took off. Is that a fair assessment of how New York was, or am I totally off? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, like, right around the time we opened, and I, I, I say this to a lot of people, because we got, we got extremely lucky not being big beer people and jumping into the world and learning it. That was probably, 1340 was the last time you could do that. You can't, like, I would say right now, if you didn't know anything about beer and you tried to open a craft beer place, especially in New York City, it would fail. There's just too much out there nowadays. Um, but back in the day, we struggled to fill our shelves with 500 different kinds of beers. And we'd have to source most of our stuff from California. Whereas, like, today, I have, like, I don't know, 80 or so limited release beers every week that are primarily from New York City. And it's, like, a great difference in that regard. And that's in addition to, like, us getting world-class breweries on distribution, kind of, like, infrequently, but... It's kind of one of those things where, yeah, maybe this week we get Magnify, next week we get Hudson Valley, and the week after that, maybe Triple Crossing makes a drop. But so every week we're getting, like, higher and higher quality beers, where in the beginning you just kind of try to fill your shelves as best as you could. And, yeah. and as, a, as a beer drinker, Tom, like, how has that been like for you? Because, I mean, you probably got into beer, like, a, a bit before these guys opened, right? I got into beer probably right as they were opening. Okay. Like, I started drinking what I would call, like, not shit beer around summer of 2013. And I started coming here around the beginning of 2014. Um, and I've actually been able to, like, sort of notice the difference in what's been on the shelves. Um, from day one when I started coming in and exactly kind of what Shane was saying was like when I first started coming in all I would see was stuff for, that was like from out of town well and that's what I was going to say when you first started coming here was it more of a like they have good beer I'm coming here but I want these other things now is it to the point where you probably get pretty much whatever you want whenever you want it correct yeah so I started coming here A because I was just like I grew up in this neighborhood and I was just like that's cool um, family-owned business in the neighborhood that I grew up in. It just seemed like a, a thing that I wanted to check out. And and as I came as I came in, and I talked to Shane, I talked to his brother, I talked to his mom, I talked to his dad. They were really welcoming, and so I was just like, "This is the neighborhood place that I want to be at." And this was only when they still had bottles, but I would come in to get what I wanted, just because I was just like, "This is like a, a really solid family-owned local uh, local shop." And, um, you know, like at this point, I can kind of get whatever I want, wherever I want. But the reason why I come back here is because of because of who's behind the bar, because it's Shane, because it's his family and, you know, like and, and Zach. And like there's like a it's like a family atmosphere, to be completely honest. Um, so I come here and it's not even necessarily about the beer anymore. The beer is amazing, all the stuff they have. And, um, you know, but it's just. It's just more like the, the way that the city is, is. There's a lot more options than there used to be, but what sets this apart is uh, is just the atmosphere. And then with Remarkable Liquids, how long ago did you start working for them? I only started with them September of last year. September of last year. Did you work in the beer industry before that? Yeah, only for about a year. I worked with SKI. Okay. Um, I was covering Harlem. Okay. So in 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 from the story that Tom told about kind of you know seeking out beer to the point where now it's actually just kind of a place where he comes and enjoys stuff and he can get pretty much whatever he wants to where it's been hard to get stuff now you have probably too much too many options when it comes to what you want to pick up if your budget is limited which pretty much everybody's budget is to a certain extent limited 
you're the guy who facilitates that. Sure. You know what I mean? How has that changed even in the last year for you? Is it like, I mean, you're kind of bound to the products that you have to sell there at Remarkable Liquids. Like, have you found it to be easier or harder in the past year to sell the beers that you guys carry? Or is it just go by brand to brand and super fickle like that? Honestly, it goes person to person. Um, if you have yeah. someone who is really deep into the craft beer scene, selling to somebody like that, that's my dream. At that point, it's really not even selling. It's just having a conversation about some shit that I like doing. Um, but if you have someone who is completely ignorant of, of you know trends in the industry and what's going on, what's being made, what's coming out, you know, selling a selling a New England style IPA with lactose and apricots is pretty fucking hard. <laughs> um, but again, it really comes down to who to each individual buyer. Um, yeah. Some guys are really open and amenable to anything I say, and other guys, it's it's a battle where I need to show them why what I'm selling is something they need in their shop or in their bar or whatever whatever the case may be. Um, and even jumping the river from New York to Jersey, just the change in the laws and how things are handled is just, it's, 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 a, it's still a big adjustment, um, but it's been a fun learning game, uh, kind of figuring out how to yeah. maneuver through the state. Yeah, New Jersey's a, it's such a weird place to sell beer because not only do you have like, it's weird because you want to say a ton of competition, there's per capita, there's only 100 breweries per the most densely populated state in the whole country, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I think almost all breweries are required to push a certain amount of their beers into the kind of retail market. Like uh, most of most New Jersey breweries, like 50% of what they put out there is like, or 50% of the beer they produce kind of hits market. Do you deal with a lot of New Jersey breweries like that? Or are you kind of coming from like New York brands because you guys are based out of Albany? I mean, we in in Jersey specifically, we yeah. don't have any Jersey brands. No Jersey um, brands? They self-distribute because they don't really need to yet. I don't okay. think reach that size where they're legally bound to. Um, and they actually end up kind of being my own competition because sure, these are places I go to on the weekends, but during the 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, yeah. This is the stuff that people want to state, regardless of what it is. They can, they don't give a shit what's on the label or what's in the can, as long as it is a Jersey beer and needs to be on their taps. Um, so my job is now to edge them out, sorry guys, and to get my <laughs> products in there. So it, it can be a struggle because people are just bound to Jersey and tried and true pride, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely makes getting my beer in there a challenge. But it's a challenge I like to you know, overcome. Is it what's harder for you to sell? Is it style? Is it is it the name of the brewery or like is there specific like when you're going to sell because you're selling directly to like uh, you're selling directly to bottle shops mm -hmm. and, bottle shop and wholesale wholesalers? What's the most challenging portion of what you do? Is it, is it is it a beer style or is it more just the brand that you're selling? I say the brand because yeah. a lot of in Jersey we we've been kind of. Left out. We've been kind of like left out in the cold as far as a lot of these brands go, where we don't get the distribution that a lot of other states do. Uh, yeah. People tend to go to New York, Pennsylvania, and then Jersey, so we're kind of like the last people to get wind of anything. Um, so telling these people, hey, look, I have this fantastic shit that you need on your shelves. Like, okay, yeah, and everyone else has fantastic shit. What about it? Um, so really trying to get people to realize the fact that what I have is different. And not just another. I'm not just another snake oil salesman. And that yeah. something I have is good. Um, that is the biggest hurdle. So it's not necessarily the style because every, everybody loves a hazy IPA. Yeah. But it's definitely getting people to recognize the brands that they've never heard of. What about you up here? Chan? What do you mean? In What's terms the of hardest thing? Like you get certain things that it's just hard for you to push. 
and that, to the point where maybe you stopped even carrying either specific brands or specific styles. You don't have to name breweries no. specifically. Yeah, but. I mean, there are certainly brands that sell faster than others no matter what you do, but um, I'd say the hardest part is trying to keep in as many different varieties of styles as you can get. I mean, not everyone's doing everything anymore. At least, like, a few years ago, you could reliably get a bunch of different styles. You could know, like, this brewery is good at this and that and whatever, but, like, nowadays with everyone, like, evolving and collabing, like, every week a brewery changes its, like, signature slightly. Whether, you know, it could be, like, a brewery that specializes in IPAs and now they're branching into sours or something, right? And, like, you don't know what that's going to be like as a buyer. I mean, you don't normally get to ever try whatever it is you buy before it shows up at your store 24 at a time. And that's that's part of the thing it's always with a lot of breweries you buy strictly on reputation for what they what they have done in the past what you think that they're capable of doing and like in what capacity they can do that at Um, so I mean yeah I would say for me it's always like the most difficult sell is convincing people like this brewery is well I would say it's more or less convincing me that this brewery is good at that style because once I'm like on board with it it's easy. People, most most consumers these days, there's too much for them. I mean, and it's true because there's too much for me, and I like it's my job to like buy beer weekly. It's not other people's job to do that. So it's like they come in and they're looking for expert advice, and that's what you have to give them because they can't keep up with like, oh, today like this brewery has released this new beer and yada yada. That's not part of their shtick. It's always gonna fall on the retailer to like do that research do that information seeking and finally get around to like literally distilling that information to a consumer to be like hey this is what you should buy this is what I recommend this week yeah I mean so from my perspective as the consumer that he's talking about like I'm really into beer and I've noticed in the last year and a half to two years there's all sorts of stuff that I'm just like I've never even heard of like I'll be talking to people and they'll mention something and I'll just be like slowly nod my head as if I know what you're talking about. I don't want to seem like I'm out of the know, but like there's so many things that are coming out now. So like at this point I come in, I'll see Shane had like a drop and I'll be like, which of these do I need to buy? Like, because I can't keep up with it. Like I'm drinking beer all the time and I'm on the Instagrams and like following all the stuff, but there's things I've never heard of, things that like styles that I'm just like, I don't know who's making what now. Um, So a place like, you know, Carmine where I can come in and just say like, hey, you know what I like, tell me tell me what I need to pick up yeah. is great. And, and there's other places too. I mean like, you know, um, not that I go there a ton, but like, you know, when I go to Top Hops, like they, 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 they know what they're talking about too. Um, if I go like to, to a bar like One Mile House um, on uh, Delancey, like I can go in there and just say like, hey, I don't recognize five of these beers. Like which one of these do I need to drink? Um, that's useful for me as a, as a consumer because there's not enough hours in the day for me to keep track of all this all the stuff that's coming out and it's all good stuff it's great it's like a, it's like a great problem to have there's like a lot of good beers that um, are being made that didn't used to be to be made I mean you know it's, a, it's like a joke now like barley wine is life but like when I first started drinking beer in 2013 it was like one or two barley wines that I would see on the shelves and now there's like 15 different barrel aged ones and you're like alright that's a great problem to have I can't afford to buy all of them, but I'd rather have too many to buy than, like, one or two to, to sort of, like, chase down. So it's, yeah. um, it's like a wealth of options at this point. 
And like when you're talking about having all those options, having to put a network, having to find the beers for people, yeah, that kind of goes in line with like you know beer popularity in general, and it's kind of blowing up and doing all that stuff. In your previous podcast, we kind of talked about not necessarily a crap beer bubble, which is a bunch of bullshit, but shit's going to ch- change, and beer's going to regress in some form or fashion. Like, do you see? Have you seen any distinct changes over the past two years as far as how people buy beer, what they buy, and how they think? Oh, most definitely. I mean, if you want to talk about a beer bubble, it's kind of already here. We're living in it. The the thing is, most people were looking for like a beer bubble that may have existed maybe three or four years ago where you had a handful of regional breweries that were really doing excellent shit and it was outstanding and you could never get it. Um, but nowadays, it's, there's so much of stuff and almost none of it is being driven by true beer drinkers anymore. Like before, craft beer was like a big hobby and you found like... Part, part of the thing was like you couldn't find certain styles on shelves all the time. Right? Like, for example, like Tom was saying, if you were looking for a barley wine, you have to wait for the brewery or a brewery to like release a barley wine the one time they do it a year. And now there's a handful of breweries doing that all the time, and they're like 100 point rated barley wines, and they're great. But the thing is, in the world of beer nowadays, everything is driven by the hazy IPA. And that's why I don't think it's going to ever bubble out. It's literally. This is not a beer drinker phenomenon anymore. Maybe it started out as one with other half and tiny microbreweries, but at this point, I mean, hazy IPAs are like getting to like a notoriety that's pretty pop culture at this point. Well, that's the difference between a fad and a trend. You know, everybody thought it was a fad. Well, obviously, it's not a fad. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's. Well, it, I think I think before there was like fads and trends within beer, and that was like a thing. But like I think that the market has expanded outside of what beer was, like what craft beer was anyway. Like I feel like a lot of the loss that exists in macro beer has been like scooped up by breweries making kettle sours and hazy IPAs because those are the trending options on every bar you go to. Like if you don't have a sour, you don't have a hazy IPA on. It's like it's harder to sell and it doesn't matter what it is it can be anything from your local brewery micro like hazy all the way up to something like a sierra nevada hazy little thing but the thing is they'll sell with equal force because it's just people are looking for those things these days well what's what's like what percentage of your business is like the one percenter do you know what i mean like the the, the new school geometric sticker can. Like, what, what percent of your business oh, is that? I, I couldn't even fathom. It, it, everything rotates so fast nowadays, it's kind of hard to keep track by style. I might have been able to tell you that, like, a few years ago, but, like, now it's, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm pushing out, like, on a typical week, I would say we have, like, 20 new releases and, and just, like, pint cans, not even including, like, large format bottles, specialty things like that. But even that compared to, like, the stalwart brands, you know, your Trogues, your Sierra Nevada, stuff like that, like, are you still, like, banging out all that stuff, or is it becoming mm-hmm. way more niche in that kind of new school kind of beer realm? Uh, for you specifically. It's, it's not right. For me specifically, I would say the, the six-pack still, it will never go away. I just think that what that six-pack is comprised of will always change. Um, so, yeah, the, the old brands, Sierra and stuff, they're always going to have a place here, like, uh, the six points, it, you know, all the beer that's been sold pretty much, uh, they kind of cemented the beer scene. They will always sell in some degree, and it'll, it'll never be like a, a degree that's like too little to think about, let's say, because they have their place here. They, they built their empire in a particular way, and they're going to stay for as long as they possibly can. Um, 
But as far as like, like strictly dollar wise, like these four packs of pint cans are, I don't know, a time and a half more expensive on average than any six pack you've ever bought before. It's like we're going from thirteen to fifteen dollars six packs to twenty twenty five dollar pint can four packs, and like just that alone is enough to just go like, oh well, that also moves faster. So which one should I really be prioritizing here as a business owner? Like um, up where you are, remarkable. Like, what do you like? The brands that you have, mm -hmm. like it, it, a bulk of it is probably the hazy stuff because that's what moves. But like, as a business in general, as a distributor in general, kind of like a relatively new one because you guys are how old as a company? About like going on seven years now. Yeah. So in the grand scheme of things, uh, relatively new. Like, is the ultimate goal just to be a distributor and just distribute good beer, or is there like a game plan when it comes to like what they distribute or? As far as a long-term plan, I wish I had more of an answer for you. Yeah. Um, but I know that they're constantly looking at, at signing on brands that they genuinely that they genuinely fuck with. That's really the thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not something that they're going to sit at home and drink in their own free time and use their own money to pay for. You're probably not going to see it in our portfolio, um, which you know kind of harkens back to my initial point that it makes my job easier where it's stuff that I drink, so it's easier to sell it in, in my day-to-day. Um, but I know they're looking to expand. They're always looking to sign on more stuff. But as far as just the long, long term, uh, I don't know. I'm just on the, on the boots on the ground, man. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Tom. So, no, um, no, 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 no. I'm going to ask you a specific oh, question. Okay, Pump the brakes. Calm down. It's okay. We can breathe a little bit. I get so excited when you call my name. Yeah, well, I mean, who doesn't? I mean, that's just the way it is. Uh, what what does he not get that you fucking hate him for not getting? Just that, uh, I'm talking about Shane over here. Nothing that I oh, hate him on. for, but um, give you a fine opportunity to dump on him. Jesus. Uh, I mean, there's probably some, you know, some of like the sort of like, well, to be honest, what we were drinking earlier, the the sort of fancy, fancy barrel aged Belgian stuff, like the the distrus we were drinking earlier. Um, I know there's like a bunch of um, the trap barrel aged stuff that you know. I I would love to sort of be able to walk in here and get as opposed to chasing down in like shady back shelf like <laughs> those are the funnest places to go though man yeah, come on yeah you never know how they're treated though when you drop in twenty four dollars they're fucking tanks yeah. man they're fine um, no I mean but I, and I'm not saying this to be a homer but like honestly like anything that like I kind of want to get like within the next few months it's coming in um, and I think that's to be completely honest, more a function of like New York City growing to your point of like, you never really think of New York City as like a beer town Up until, until a couple, couple of years ago. Years. But I think it, it, as much as I'd love to give all the credit to Shane, like I think it's it's more a function of um, the town has sort of like come around to be more interested in beer. Um, and so therefore there's more demand, therefore more places are trying to get in here. Um, right around when I started drinking beer, I definitely noticed that like, you know, fancy places, fancy restaurant type places, like, they would still have shit beer. Like, I would go to restaurants that had, like, great wine, great cocktails, all that, and then their beer list was crap. And I was just kind of like, alright, like, well, why? Um, but since, in the last, like, five, six, seven years, since I've sort of been paying attention, um, each year, more things become available. More, more, um, more breweries that you know sort of are trying to get into this market, and to be completely honest, more venues are trying to get the good beer to bring into the city. Um, you know, you can go to like a Gramercy Tavern and have a sick uh, beer cellar. 
Um, whereas, I don't know if they were doing that necessarily five, six, seven years ago. Maybe they were. But, um, but plenty of other like high-end places just, just dismissed beer. And as much as like sort of people like me are kind of like, you know, like more like ground level, when you have higher end places trying to bring in better beer, it sort of has a trickle down effect. Um, so there really isn't any one particular thing that I'm like, oh, I wish Shane could get because he's probably going to get it in the next three or four months. Um, if like, you know, for a while, yeah. it's true. And like for a while there was like, I was like, oh man, like, we don't really get a lot of like Cigar City stuff. And then like a few months later, it's like, oh shoot, I can get Marshall Zukov no problem. Um, and, and all sorts of different different places from around the country. So I think it's more a function of New York growing up as a, as a beer town. Um, I remember going to Philly in 2014, which was right around when I first started drinking beer and being like, this is Nirvana. There's all sorts of shit here that I've never even seen in the city. And slowly, New York has caught up to where like they have stuff that I didn't used to see um, on draft, um, which is great because there's a there's a thirst for it. I mean, you know, there's there's all sorts of people that are like, even if they're not like beer nerds, so to speak, but they're like, oh, I like that. I had that here. Um, what's oh, it's a goza or it's a sour or or whatever. It's whatever. It's a porter, and then they go somewhere else and they 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 want to try it. And I think there's just more people who are being savvy to the idea that there's like beer that doesn't taste like crap that they had when they were at a kegger in college. Um, and so that's just sort of like disseminating all around town. So there's more demand and therefore there's going to be more supply. You started off that eloqu- rant. eloquent rant you had there <laughs> with um, just kind of me asking what you can't get and you kind of touched on some of the stuff like the like the distrusor drinking and some of the Belgian <coughs> stuff. Have you guys seen that with you dealing with St. Bernardus and you having a deal- decent amount of Belgian stuff kind of floating around in here? Has, 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 do you see people getting into that more or is it still kind of like very kind of niche? It's, well, the Belgian stuff, in my opinion, I think the Belgian stuff is on its way up because it's actually, once you come down to it, especially things like Belgian sours, they're price point wise, they're way more competitively priced than any American sour producer. Uh, so like things like that, I can always see there's a market for that and it will grow as more people get into sours and things like that. But as far as classic Belgian styles, um, people like them. They're never really quite going to go away. The Chimay and things like that, like of that nature, are just always going to be here. They've always been here. Like even before American Craft, they were like the standard for good beer long before American Craft was. But as far as like their specialty stuff, as far as getting them to branch out and like doing the bourbon barrel stuff, that is a lot harder because the they're at least from the Trappist breweries that I've dealt with and like asked about these things, like they're very hesitant to start messing with formulas that they've been making for, I don't know, decades at this point, right? Like the same beer over and over for decades. It's tried and true. But you see, you're seeing, I mean, La Trapp has one of the most widely barrel aged program. And, right. and then um, St. Bernardus did an apple brandy barrel a couple of years ago. Sure. She, and Chimay did a bourbon. Sh- so they're starting yeah. to branch out. They are. They are definitely starting. And I, as much, and I would love to carry that stuff, but also the price points on those things are much higher than the American counterparts. So it's like, it's a give and take situation. You win on sours, but as far as quads and stuff, you're really almost better off, unless you really want it for the name, like you're better off buying American quad agent bourbon barrels, like from off color or something like that. Okay. As opposed to like, because the Chimay uh, Reserve we had in rum barrels, I think that 500 ml bottle was around 30 bucks-ish, maybe a little more. It's a lot. Yeah, it's 
I mean, people bought it. I sold out of it. No problem there. And it was really good beer. But, like, that's a pretty difficult pill to swallow. And it's going to, I mean, when you have that argument going out as, like, a retailer, it's tougher for a distributor even to, like, say, like, yeah, we want a pallet of that. Like, it's a lot of money to put down on a bet, essentially, where you could be making the same amount of money as a distributor or importer bringing in three pallets of something you're guaranteed will sell out fast. And that's, it's always going to, like, beer always will probably turn out into a financial argument. So you still see, like, a, a financial kind of, like, um, like line in the sand when it comes to some beers, even in Manhattan? Because, I mean, you're talking about New York City, you have to make, what, 120K just to be, like, kind of live? You know what Surviving. I mean? Like, yeah. survive. Yeah. Whereas most places, you know, 60K is going to get you by. Yeah. So the price point, like, when you buy that bottle of 38 bottle. $38 bottle of Chimay here, it's going to be 35 where I live. Yeah. So there's only a $3 difference. Exactly. Yet the cost of living is double. Uh, so, but you still see that kind of like... Or, is thing, it, or do you think it's a matter of I can get something as good cheaper and it's just a sensibility thing? I think it's a little bit of both, actually. It's, like, it's kind of one of these things where, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things I can grab that beer, I can get it, and it'll be more expensive than everywhere else, but it's also going to be more convenient than anywhere else. You're going to be able to get it in the heart of Manhattan, and it's kind of, instead of, like, trekking out to Jersey or somewhere else, and, like, right there, you lost your $3 just transportation-wise. Yeah. Like, it's, it's gone. So, But as far as that goes, it's more of one of those things where I, as a retailer, can say, like, I'm going to buy a case of this, and that's going to be the end of it. Um, and I'm assuming that's how it works on the distributor thing. When they're bringing in a massive quantity of beer from Belgium or something, they don't want to get stuck with that any more than I do. And it's just a matter of how much do they think they, they can really get rid of um, and sell before it gets bad or before something happens to it or anything like that. Um, so as far as like line in the sand price-wise, yeah, Manhattan for sure. We have the opportunity to say yes to a lot more things that would make any other kind of locale, like kind of go, you're paying how much wholesale for beer? And it is it is one of those things where, yeah, that's always going to be a defining factor. But I think, I think, yeah, we are lucky that we get to say yes to things that are way more expensive than anybody else can do. And therefore, we can make things within New York City that are more expensive than anywhere else can make. Now, both you guys in mind, like when you're trying to sell a new brand that isn't like, you know, you get somebody like a... You know, in New Jersey, not I don't know who carries it. Maybe you guys do, but I know Old Nation just started distributing in New Jersey. That's an easy sell. You know what I mean? People are going to want that. When you have a brand that's not as popular, like when you're dealing with a new bottle shop, what's that process trying to get them to pick it up? Now, vice versa, when someone comes in and, and someone who does research at beer all the time, how hard is it for you to kind of accept new beer like that, knowing they're like, I don't really know much about this. It, it might just sit forever. Or is it just a matter of, you know, sometimes you have a feeling and you kind of take a take a swing, or is it all just calculated? Um, you want to go? Actually, you should start with how you sell it, and then I'll go with how I sell it. I think you I feel first. like they're very all different. Right. Um, so, like for someone, someone like Shane, where yeah. he, he knows his shit and he knows the brands and he knows the styles. There's no so, bullshitting. There's no bullshitting. Yeah. Um, with him, it's someone just just it's just having a conversation of, look, we've got something great. Do you want it, yay or nay? And he knows, like I said, he knows his shit. So for him, it's something, yes, I'll take it. Um, I know it's going to move. We're going to have the curiosity. People are going to come in and take it. Uh, but for someone who may not be so well-versed, it's a lot of hand-wringing, a lot of twisting arms, a lot of sampling. 
uh, and just showing them that what's in front of them is, is good product. And really, honestly, samples, I, I constantly have a trunk, a backseat, a kitchen full of beer at all times, just so that way if anyone has a question about it, I can just Crack whip it that out. And like, yeah. Hey, look, Show and this, proof. This, this is what I'm working with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the sampling game is, it's, it's, it's key to any sort of success I have in any sort of account. Um, and then, yeah, Shane, you, you let me know, because now I can learn from you and start hustling <laughs> people more. For certain beers and beer styles, um, especially if they're really esoteric or they're really expensive, or there's something about them that I, you know, I just can't stick it on the shelf and it won't just evaporate the next day or the next week or whatever it is. Um, I usually buy those styles thinking of people in mind. Like if I can, if in my head I can think of, okay, there's at least three or four regulars that I know that'll buy these 750s mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, because they love this style. They love what's going on here. Like, that justifies the purchase. That right? justifies. Because if I can get like a third of the case or a fourth of the case out the door the second it comes in, that makes my life easier. I can say yes to that or yes to anything like with that much more confidence. The rest of the eight bottles is fine. Like I mean, I'm going to probably try one, so there's that. Um, then the rest of it just goes to like, oh, like hand selling. Like, you know, people come into bottle shops all the time, and I don't know if like distributor level, well, you probably do because... You know, you've worked it here and all that stuff, but like, I don't know if distributors realize, but people come into bottle shops and ask for like the oddest things sometimes, <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. you just never know what it's going to be. They'll, I, I've been so shocked on many occasions about like, a that that request was there, and it could be something like completely unrelated to beer. It'd be like, I need a beer with a rabbit on it. Like, do you have that on the label? And I'll just be like, oh my god, I do. <laughs> like, you just never know what's going to be that deciding factor that makes the beer leave the store. So, I mean, our policy has always been like, grab a bunch of core stuff that, like, you know, is kind of like your bread and butter. Like, anybody walking in can find something that they like. But also, grab a ton of really esoteric, weird, like, really get in the weeds of what beer is and how you can, like jump from one category to the other i mean i mean my latest thing is always it has been like wine barrel aged beer i always thought that that's a good transition and i always thought sours were before that for like preferring wine drinkers and things like that but i've fallen super in love with red wine barrel aged stouts especially and even actually <laughs> to piggyback off what he's saying because yeah. um, we're, we're mostly addressing stuff that's on the shelves yeah. and as far as like draft goes um, even then showing someone how much you're going to make per pour. Yeah. Just how many more cents you're going to make per pour over the other guy. Even that can go a long ways to showing how profitable you can be buying this keg over their keg. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there a, are a lot of times lot of on the draft and the things you'll see, like the bigger beer companies will sell stuff even close to a loss mm -hmm. to, and, and you're not going to make a markup like you would on something else right. like that. But how, did, how many times, and this is just personal, oh, <laughs> just no, I want to know. How many times have you bought shit just purely because you wanted it and you didn't give a fuck about it? <laughs> oh, anybody man. else? There is a lot there. I, <laughs> I once, I still have it actually. I, I bought a barley wine from Siren and it, like, I did the math on it even before I bought it and it was going to be $33 for a 375 ml bottle. <laughs> and it was a blend of like, I don't know, maybe 10 different barrels in different proportions and things like that. And I was just like, this is so cool, and I'm not going to pass this up, and I don't care who buys it. This is, like, something I'm putting on the shelves because, wow, how did this brewery, like, they've broken something here, and I, like, want to be a part of, like, I sell this here. Yeah, it's that weird, and it's cool, but, like, 
I did it for me kind of thing. Uh, yeah, there's like there's more than a handful of beers, and that's happened a lot of times here. Uh, <laughs> now, Kettenville, not really, kind of sort in the same thing when it comes to like getting what you want and mm-hmm. selling or buying what you want. Yeah. And the price points they come at. How big do you think secondary market affects the prices of the stuff that you sell? I mean, sure, um, most of it's a bulk of it's going to be standard, but yeah. there's certain things that you probably price. You know what I mean? You have to look at how the secondary works, especially in New York. Like, I would attribute a lot of secondary market explosion to white collar jobs, to a lot of like, you know, that hashtag that. new money dudes. No, yeah, you know what I mean? Throw money at beer. How does that affect you as a retailer? I would say probably less than most people think. Uh, there is only a handful of crossover between things that are very expensive on the secondary market and things that are actually available on anybody's shelves at any given time. I mean, the only example I can even think of that might like benefit a store for a secondary market would be like Cantillon and like Dre Fontenin. But that's stuff because like I mean most bottle shops, most places in like New York City are probably getting like maybe twelve seven fifties, maybe eighteen a year if they're lucky. And I mean like if they're doing like really, really well and outside of events, of course, but like, yeah, it's that's the only thing I can think of where it'd be like, yeah, we're not getting any of this that we really wanted, so we gotta dip into the secondary pool in order to really make that work on our shelves if we want to. But like, most things, like, I mean, the only thing I can think of in New York that probably is outside of that would probably be other half, and the only reason for that is they only sell the cans at the brewery. So aside from you going to the brewery and other half, that any additional value is just derived from your inability to do that. That's just how it. widely how how often do other shops bootleg? Oh, I don't know. Um, I guess it's as often as they want because I mean technically, the idea with like bringing a case of beer back and selling it on the sly in your shop is that you sell it on the sly. No one would. They're never going to advertise even if. Like somebody went off to Boston, brought back Trillium Treehouse, put all their cans in their fridge, and like sold it like under the counter for like whatever money they want. They, it's not something they can advertise. They can't say that we have this because they risk the SLA coming down on them hard and like basically finding them and dumping all their beer in a hole, just opening yourself up to like a bunch of stuff that you really do not want. Especially if you're like a reputable craft beer distributor, if you can generate enough volume to sell a good amount of beer, you almost never want to do that kind of thing because you put everything you've worked for on the line for like a case or two of beer that's like what 200 bucks yeah that they're like literally putting their i don't know thousands of dollars business on the line for it's like doesn't really quite add up so if they do it i mean i've noticed that it sometimes happens more or less for special events anniversaries things like that more like one-off like don't tell anyone, don't put this, and uh, it usually only goes to, like, trusted people. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's as big of an issue as most people think it is. Okay. Yeah. You know, out in Pennsylvania, where I used to live, it was a big thing. Yeah. Like, people would, like, restaurants would have them. Like, oh. a secret uh, draft, or secret can and bottle list, you'd kind of ask the bartender, give them a wink, and they'd give it to you, and there'd be a whole bunch of shit on there. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it was out menu. Uh, what? Like the old In-N-Out menu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it w- and it would be, um, you know, places got pinched for it and they got in trouble. I just didn't know if it was more yeah, kind of a thing in New York or no. With New York, though, it's hard for bars to even attempt to do that stuff because, I mean, as an average person, you, like, if you really want that Trillium beer that came out 
last week, all you have to do is walk over to other half, buy that beer that came out last week, find someone on the internet, and boom, you trade. That's it. Yeah. That's the end of your secondary market value for a bar. Yeah. Unless you find someone who's like totally unwilling to do that, and I mean, if they're already craving beer at that level, they probably are. Um, it's it's hard. Like bars, it'd be a really hard argument for a bar to like do a secondary value up charge on any beer that they stole, kind of. Well, not stole, but like bought from breweries they're not supposed to have. So, as far as a beer consumer, a beer distributor, and a beer retailer, if you guys were to change one thing about the, the process, whether it be a law or otherwise, of how it's done, what would you do? Is there something specific you'd want to change? Uh, I'm going to go second, so Zach's going to go first. <laughs> uh, all right, so for me, it's specific to New Jersey price posting. Um, so very long, fucking boring story short. Uh, you need to basically post your pricing in New Jersey a month before you're able to sell anything. Um, so that kind of cuts us out of just random releases where, hey, we made this and it's available right now. Do you want it? And I'm just like, I, I wish I, I wish I could do something about it, but I can't uh, because my state won't let me. So that is the one thing I would get rid of from New Jersey for sure. Price posting. Just let us have the beer and let me sell it because I will sell the shit. Jersey's the, I live in Jersey, dude. It's the fucking worst. You, you, you know It's worse, man. It sucks. What about you? Oh, wait. Or, no, he can go. He can okay. go. <laughs> ah, man. I don't know. One thing it would change. Um, Get everything when you want it and when you want it? I mean, yeah, no. that's like kind of the answer I think right that's, there. No, it's I think that was like, uh, Tom's answer. Yeah. I, I feel like if you're willing to put in the legwork to go to another state to buy a beer at retail and to bring it back to your bar, and I mean, I feel like as long as you're paying like all the associated taxes with it, you should definitely be able to sell that beer at your bar at whatever markup you want because ultimately, like, that's, I think, the next frontier is like your level of knowledge of beer overall, not just where you live, not just what's available to you, but I mean, if you had that, you were talking about like upscaling New York from being like the best distro to do the best beer period. Like, that's it. If somebody wanted to go to Trillium, if somebody, I mean, you could, the amount of money tax-wise that would generate would be massive for the state, and it would just be amazing for the beer community in general. Like, I don't know, it'd be amazing for breweries neighboring New York State. It, it'd go a long way, I think. Is So, the, as, as, a New York seller of beer, you can't go to a brewery and get a keg or a case and sell it legally. Is there any Correct. way you can do yeah. that? Correct. Uh, yeah. For to my is that knowledge, Manhattan or is no, that no, no, statewide? That's New York State. Okay. That so alcohol laws are are kind of put aside by the state by each state individually. Mm -hmm. So what you can do depends on the state, uh, which is why DC gets like the most amazing deal. They get to bring anything they want in at all times because they have no state laws. They have only federal alcohol firearms laws to like follow as yeah. far as bringing beer in or taking beer out. So their distribution is kind of at their imagination, and that's yeah. great. But um, that was yeah. like that was like us in PA, like so like once a year at least for Philly Beer Week, we would get like everything, like even like outside, like uh, two hours north, we'd start getting kegs of all the beer uh, beer uh, companies from out west and all over the country because they would have to sign a distributing license for just a month that they were doing Philly Beer Week. So for one week a month, we got everything we ever wanted, you know, oh, it's so, just because of some dumb law. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how New York City breweries and, I mean, not New York City, New York City distributors get around that. A lot of distributors have 
gone from their old way of like, okay, we're going to sign this contract for five years and you're going to send us X amount of beer a year and yada yada to like, oh, you want to come to New York for this event? We'll sign you. We'll bring your beer over legally and everything like that. You pour it wherever you want. Just, and we'll sell it, you will sell it through us and we'll do all the legal handiwork. Just, you know, if you ever do want to do New York State distribution, think of us, that kind of thing. Ah, and it, okay. it's kind of like a, it's a one-off contract in a way. So it, I mean, in some ways that law is already being circumvented, but the problem is it's just being done in a way that's not conducive to like everybody. It's just, right now it's like, if you can make it happen with your distributor and with that brewery, it'll probably happen, but it'll take months. Like, it really should be one of those things where if you want, you get it and you pay the tax on it and you're done. You tell the SLA you have it and that's kind of the, it should be the end of it. Thomas, so uh, what this I would be good. You made two other people jump in front I did, of you. I did. So what I want is very far-reaching. Uh, what I want is for the cost of brewing beers in the greater New York area to not be as much so that 500 milliliter bottles don't cost $24. <laughs> um, there's a lot of really good beer being made, uh, but and I'm, I know that it's the cost of, of living and the cost of doing business in New York that that makes these uh, these bottles so much higher uh, price than comparable level stuff across the country. I know that's not going to change anytime soon, but um, as someone who likes to drink and support locally brewed beer, uh, some of the prices make my mm, tighten up. And uh, it's called a butthole. You're butthole, to butthole, <laughs> butthole. I was going to say a hole. Um, they also make my checkbook tighten up. Um, it's just, uh, it's a thing that I know isn't going to change even when breweries are going further and further and further out in the five boroughs, right? So like KCBC, Interboro, they're out in Bushwick in areas that, you know, generally are not the highest priced rental uh, spots in the in the city. Um, but even then you're, and no disrespect to them, like their beers are good. Um, but some of the prices on this stuff is just, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And like you said earlier, actually, about like the, what you need to make to sort of be like surviving in New York, and then you're trying to like spend twenty something twenty something dollars on a five hundred milliliter bottle of whatever stout, you know, sour, whatnot. It just it's like a punch right in the gut when you're like, I want this, and I know I'm gonna buy it, and I'm just gonna cry that I'm spending this much money on it, and then you just hand it over and you cry while you drink it. <laughs> Um, so that's well, not going to change. I can't change the New York real estate it's market. Like a, it's like a homemade goza. Tears right in that drink. Saltiness. <laughs> that the salinity. Salty. Salinity. Uh, homemade salinity is yeah. what it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's my that's my thing. Okay, one last question for the three. Uh, what are you drinking right now that turned you on? Is there some specific brewery, specific style, something you're like, man, that makes my balls tight? Ooh. Tight balls. Um... I mean, I, this is the most ridiculous answer ever. But uh, the the stouts coming out of other half, I know they're they're obviously like one of the most famous breweries in the country. So to say, oh, other half is sort of ridiculous. But they're known, you know, at least when I started drinking beer, they're known for their IPAs, and uh, they hit a spot where they um, they figured out how to do stouts because prior to when they did their collab with Jay Wakefield, their stouts were no bueno. And uh, now they're like on a different level, and that's kind of what 
uh, gets my, my balls tight now. Hear that? No, the half <laughs> scouts are okay now, Tom. They're okay. Seal of approval. Yeah. Tom, I mean, they have my seal of approval. Yeah. So now they're ready to go. They're going to take <laughs> off. I heard they're going to take off. They were waiting solely for you. Only you. About they you? were. They were. I'm kind of, you know, a big deal. Clear about you guys. You're allowed to shill some stuff that you, you, you know. I heard St. Bernard's is pretty solid. Oh, yeah, I, no, dude, it's one of my favorite <laughs> beers no, all the time. No, St. Bernard's, they're, they're, they're the tits. Um, actually, yeah. Prairie right now. And I yeah, got a... I've got a creation from Tom over here that I've been kind of sitting on. So apple brandy, baby. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited about Big that. Big infection problems this year at uh, Prairie, though. Yeah, none of the ones, none of the ones I had. Yeah, everything I've had. <laughs> we got lucky. Everything I've had has been delicious, so I'm yeah. I'm stoked. Yeah, apple brandy's like the best barrel ever. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so there's only been one in like the last maybe a week or two. There's only been one beer that I've been like kind of crushing on, and it's weird. I had I so I went to other halves like fifth anniversary industry thing and you know they were doing bottle pours and whatever and everything was great but the one thing that just completely stuck out in my mind was uh Yunt from the brewery mm. and you know tom over here is a member of their society and I, i've been like and I'm he went down tr- I'm to trying i'm trying yeah. to get it for you uh, he went down to the dc brewery yeah, this yesterday. weekend yesterday yeah so um i was like if you see it please bring mm. it back but i mean i got impatient and i blew too much money on a bottle to get it, and it's shipping and it's on its way, but I mean, damn, like, that beer is, like, the most interesting hybrid of beer and wine I've ever, ever had. And I only had an ounce or two, probably when I was a little bit more over the edge than I should have been to, like, be, like, so stoked on a beer, but, like, it's just, the level of combining a stout and a cab in my head of the, what they did was just truly outstanding so i'm like i'm hunting down a bottle and i'm hoping i get it soon but so you can think about that in two different ways though you could be like i was a little bit too drunk to gush <laughs> yeah but be like if i was chugging beers like i was and this beer still stood out while well, was that deep no right. Then it, yeah. it was probably really for sure. Exactly. And that's exactly why I was like, I need I need to find a bottle. I don't really like whatever it costs, it's fine, I'll just eat it and cry and that'll be the end of it. And like but I need to try this sober and I need to like know, like, cause I man, that I can't get over it. I can't get over how much the stout embodied a cab to the point of if you closed your eyes, you wouldn't know it was beer. It was pure wine. And I like beers like that that blur the lines. Can I add an amendment to mine? Sure can. As a matter of fact, uh, so Shane here brought in some more money, some more problems by Pipeworks, <laughs> specifically to placate my dumbass. <laughs> well, you got to go with the whole story. I mean, how many years right, have you been right. chasing so that beer down? So me and my buddy, um, we've been chasing this beer down for the better part of a decade at this point. And this is before we knew anything about beer. We just yeah. saw the labels, like s'mores, label, done. Went out to Chicago, didn't have it. And we've been just kind of searching for it for the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Tell him about it. like, okay, yeah, done. On my next order, it's in. And uh, maybe a week ago, we're plowing through stouts with reckless abandon just to get to this this one small keg. <laughs> he texts me saying, it's going on tomorrow. Or he, no, he texts me yesterday saying, it's going on today. I'm losing my shit. And then he texts me back 20 minutes later, you're the unluckiest person I know. The seal is broken. The keg's bad. I can't put it on. Yeah. So, I literally uh, could not connect yeah. that keg. So. so Pipeworks, if you're listening, yeah. send more. Oh, they don't listen. Okay, right. well, I'm hoping they do. <laughs> and I really, really need you to send more of this shit to get that to That sucks, to dude. Yeah. At this time, hopefully, uh, just, just send us a case. Yeah. We'll, oh, we'll be happy. man. <laughs> the search is still uh, ongoing. Damn it. Yeah. God damn it. 
Damn it, that's the worst, man. Beer, so blue, close. beer blue balls. Right? Yeah. So Fuck. close and yet never going to actually get there. <laughs> I was so excited for you putting it on. I was like, oh, man. Uh, like, Zach's I mean, going to love the fact that we got this now. He's coming on Sunday. It's going to be great. Uh, I, and then I drank as I'd, much uh, double dunk as I could to get that. Yeah. I had to pull over and have myself a good cry. <laughs> it sucked. And, and just to be clear, I mean, that, like, I probably bought like over a few hundred kegs in the last year. That's like literally the only one where yeah. that... Seal problem is of course, and it's just—it's making me feel like this is like a very <laughs> ill-fated beer for you. It I don't know why. Somewhere a gypsy has cursed yeah. that. <laughs> like, at that point, couldn't you just like just shot it with a gun, just like yeah. you know what I mean, like shotgun the keg yeah, or what, something what, like what that? Just, that guy, just, yeah. just boom, get your mouth on it. Billy, yeah. Billy Roscoe on YouTube with a pickaxe yeah. yeah. keg. Yeah, just boom, shotgun the whole keg at once. I mean, yeah, that's, that's all we can do. I'm not doing shit else the rest of the day, so <laughs> you let me know. Yeah, awesome. Well. Tom, Zach, Gene, awesome. Thanks for having us. You guys want to plug yourself? Yeah, thank you, man. Where do they find you, Tom? Uh, Kenshin691 on Instagram. There you go. What about you, Zach? Uh, you can find me at Zach's Beard, Zach, Z-A-C-H-S-B-E-E-R-D on okay. Instagram. And if you want to get those beers in, in Jersey, North Jersey more specifically, get at them. That's me. Yeah, and um, if you want to find out what's going on at Carmine Street, just at Carmine Street Beers on Instagram. And uh, if you want to find out what I'm drinking, uh, at Ales Behind the Bar on Instagram as well. Right around the corner from um, Bleecker, so you're right around the corner from Tiger. Yep. You know, Walking the, distance you know. from the Tiger. Yeah, I'm so. there um, after here <laughs> some nights. And there you go. So if you want to check it out, come down, drink some beers, have some fun. There you go. So hopefully you guys enjoyed. Come down to New York, chug some beers, drink all the, uh, all the stuff that Tom wants and when you're here, why don't you just bring us, you know, what is it, more s'mores, more, what? what? Yeah, s'more money, s'more more money. Bring one of those. Yeah. Send one. <laughs> if, you, if you have one of those out there, reach money. out to me. Reach out to me. I, if you can send it my way, I'll make sure it finds its way into Zach hands. Uh, I, love, I love you for that. Yeah, there you go. Okay, <laughs> cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you.